Coming up on this edition of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, we get the show started with Eddie Como, an author, a UC Riverside professor of higher education, and the Center for Athletes Rights and Equity Care Executive Director, who's not only working in the classroom, but also outside the classroom to help college athletes specifically in the way that they're treated as athletes, as students, and as people. Then Will Morgan has his pick for the week. He's recapping last week's pick with Big Ben, who finished with three passing touchdowns in the Steelers' win. The Cowboys actually definitely surprised me, played a lot better than I anticipated. Well, he's got to recap Big Ben's week for Pittsburgh and also his pick coming into this week, the player to watch in fantasy football. That's all right here on Will's Fantasy Footballers this week. So I hope you guys are ready for another edition of the show. We've got more topics, news, and insight to get into right here on Beyond the Headlines on Fox Sports Radio, 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, and all streaming platforms, Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. It's time to go beyond the headlines, because I don't put in overtime just so I can headline, okay. Now it's Fox Sports, I'm live with Renee, going hard every day, sports rapping every play, different segments for your favorites, coming at you daily, with positive vibes, yeah, we some game changers, basketball, football, soccer, with different interviews, you never know who may pop up, listen, <laughs> only on Beyond the Headlines, this is Beyond the Headlines, <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines, this is Beyond the Headlines. Only on Beyond the Headlines, this is Beyond the Headlines. With Renee Washington. Welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington here on Fox Sports Radio. We've got a special guest joining us today. It's Eddie Como, UC Riverside professor of higher education. He's an author. He's the executive director for Center for Athletes Rights and Equity, a former Major League Baseball player that played with the Texas Rangers, a man of many, many hats and talents. Eddie, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Renee. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. I am happy to have you here. You have so much going on that you do, specifically looking in the college sectors, college sports, college education. You're working on both sides of 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 academics and athletics, which is incredible. But I want to first get into your book. You are an author. Let's start talking about what made you decide to start, add that to your list of many accomplishments and titles to be an author, to write your own novel, College Athletes, Rights and Wellbeing, looking at critical perspectives on policy and practice. I love that. What was the inspiration behind your book? Well, you know, there's, there's a somewhat of a history behind this is because, you know, as, a, as you mentioned, I was a former college athlete that played baseball uh, in the 90s. Um, I grew up in a time where, you know, we just had uh, uh, Rodney King beating uh, in, in 1991. So there was this sort of uh, historical moment, at least on our campus and, and, and beyond, uh, in terms of thinking about um, issues around race and racism and that being centered uh, in, in, in certain conversations. And, and at the time, I was really connected to, to Harry Edwards, who was a professor mm. of sociology at Berkeley, who's now a mentor of mine. Harry Edwards was part of the 1968 Mexico City Olympic Games movement with John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Uh, he was the mouthpiece behind that. So I really connected with, with, with uh, Professor Edwards on a number of levels in terms of just his, his activist work, um, his work that he did with athletes, and then, of course, as, as a probing thinker. And so, 
you know, never in my wildest imagination did I really think that I would become an educator, a professor, or earn a terminal degree. I thought I'd be playing baseball uh, for the rest of my life. And, you know, I had a few injuries. I ended up blowing out my Achilles tendon, um, playing in a pickup basketball game. Um, and so with the rehab and all of that, I still thought I could play. Um, but of course, uh, the coaches thought differently. Uh, the coaches won out. So I had to figure out a different pathway uh, in my career and, and, and decided to pursue that terminal degree, but also thinking about ways that I can impact my community and sort of use the leverage that I had in the insider knowledge to really try to affect change or be a champion for change. And so, you know, uh, being an author is something that I see as, as storytelling, right? The opportunity to really uh, share your experiences share your empirical research with the world in ways that is packaged that you think it might be sort of user-friendly and something that can influence uh, aspiring leaders, aspiring current educators, practitioners, even current athletes to really think about how they could potentially use their platform, how they can raise their critical awareness, mm -hmm. or simply how they can be a champion for change. And so I've always really been excited. Uh, I'm actually working on my sixth book at this point where I'm really thinking about how I can use my platform, how I can uh, sort of storytell in ways that could fill information gaps, that can inspire, empower uh, those around me. So I've always been excited that this book that you just referenced uh, around college athletes' rights and well-being, I think that's at the heart of it. When we really right. think about the structural arrangement of college athletics, there are a number of stakeholders involved in these processes coaches, executive, administrators, but they're all profiting handsomely off the backs of primarily black athletes. And so I really wanted to expose these disparities in ways that the public, um, for those who don't understand this, is that this arrangement uh, is certainly not a fair exchange and it's all, too often it's the, it's the black athletes that are disproportionately impacted. So, so this work is really thinking about this arrangement and how athletes can get the kinds of protections uh, and policies in place that would create a, sort of a fairer, more visibly fair uh, environment for, for, for these athletes. You said a lot of great things there, Eddie. And the first is, um, you know, I, I love the fact that you touched on the purpose and the the motivation behind this book going back decades. This is not something that just started now. And I think the sad part of it in what you're saying and referencing back around Rodney King and in the nineties is that here we are in 2020 and the cycle is still continuing. Nothing has changed, unfortunately. So, you know, what, what was relevant then is still relevant today. So to be able to write books and you talk about you're writing your sixth book, which I didn't know you're working on number six, but looking at all of your books, they, they cover a wide variety of topics that are applicable to society. So this one being more on college sports, you've written on education, hip hop and sports, you've written on high achieving African American students. I mean, looking at education as the underlying um, aspect you're addressing, but different areas of, of society that you are reaching within your books because as you mentioned it's a great way to reach an audience to connect with people to inspire to share stories to share maybe even a thought process that they didn't have before but also the fact that as we're looking at college athletes specifically the higher revenue bringing in um, around football basketball and as you talk about these are primarily african-american athletes and it's a system 
where we have these universities, you know, big wigs within the university, so to speak, that are profiting financially substantially off of college athletes, all the work they're doing and sacrifice they're making. So it tends to be older white men profiting off of all the work that these athletes who tend to be primarily black men in, in football and, and uh, basketball are making. Sounds like a very familiar system that we've seen in history. Um, but overall, this is, as you mentioned, something that even around COVID is still very relevant because I remember the, the Pac-12, one of their biggest arguments for not wanting to bring back football is how do you bring back football, college football specifically? They're not employees. They're not getting paid. They don't have coverage. God forbid a player gets COVID and is unable to play. What protections are there for that player? And although college sports are so much fun to watch and we love all the excitement around college football and the bowls and the March madness and all the excitement of all the sports each season, they are not hired employees like a professional athlete. They don't have the same protections. So even to your point that you're bringing up around college athletes roles in, in sacrificing for the university, that's something we've been seeing relevant around COVID and the, the question around whether to bring sports back or not. But I do want to get into something you touched on in the very beginning of what you said, which was that you did not expect to go this route. Being a professor, being someone that is working in higher education, and as you mentioned, you know, I know I was in a similar boat when I was going through the process of getting into professional soccer and thinking this is what my career is going to be. This is my future. You put maybe not all, but most of the eggs in that basket and then shortly realize, no, it's actually just preparing you for your real purpose and what's next, which for you is partly being an executive director, a part of CARE, which is the Center for Athletes, Rights, and Equity, and then also out in California, being a professor of higher education. How did you pivot from being an athlete to working in these areas and these spaces where you're now providing for the next generation? You know, I'm, I'm just fortunate to have some great parents who are very supportive, uh, some great mentors, you know, including Harry Edwards, uh, a number of coaches. My dad coached me for most of my, my high school and formative years. Um, they were really instrumental in exposing me uh, to different pathways, um, exposing me to, to critical literacies, uh, critical knowledge, um, really helped to stretch my knowledge base and think about the possibilities beyond sport. And I'll be the first to say my dream uh, was to play professional baseball until they told me it's time to give it up. Mm -hmm. uh, but clearly that didn't happen. But because of those support systems around me, uh, that really helped to kind of think about uh, the path forward. Um, and so that was really um, the short of it is, is that I had support systems um, in, in place, structures in place that, uh, that afforded me opportunities. Uh, and then folks that really believed in me believed that I had the capability um, to be a probing thinker, um, to con continue uh, to perform um, at a, in a graduate school and ultimately uh, earn a terminal degree. You know, that, that was really uh, what, what, what stuck with me. And, and if I may, um, as I'm, I'm listening to you talk, uh, particularly about this historical moment, uh, not only with athletes' protections during this public health crisis, but even more so, I, I think I would be remiss um, because I'm one who really centers equity and justice in my work. Mm -hmm. and, and the recent ruling around Breonna Taylor mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. clearly doesn't speak to justice and, and so much of simply having 
prosecutors uh, think about, um, uh, th think through this tape, the, the, excuse me, this case and ultimately come up with a decision, uh, many people think that this is justice, right? That we actually had someone investigate this case and, and, and from their view, come up with a reasonable decision. Uh, we really have to begin to redefine what we think about justice in this world. As much as we, we loosely throw this term around, what does it actually mean um, for Black people, for Black bodies? Um, and, and ultimately, um, that is something that we need to clearly and explicitly define. And, and just trying to, def to tie this back to college athletics and centering equity and justice, not only in the well-being of athletes, largely Black athletes, who are essentially forced uh, abruptly to come back to campus, return to campus with no testing, um, with no protections in place because of the high stakes investment in college athletics. And then to get the players from the Pac-12 to say, we're not going to stand for this. Um, we're better than this. We're not just property, right? Mm -hmm. To me really spoke volumes, particularly when you saw people in the larger public start to rally around these athletes and say, we believe in you, we support you, right? And now what does justice look like for athletes, right? Is it simply saying that now we have a contract with a corporation that's going to uh, provide rapid testing? Is that sufficient, right? What about those athletes who are high risk, who may have asthma, who may have right. hypertension, who have may, may have other underlying conditions. How do we support athletes in ways, particularly vulnerable athletes in ways that don't subject them to adverse impacts in terms of their health, in terms of their well-being? And so how we think about justice, not only with Breonna Taylor, we need to be thinking about justice largely with black athletes who are making millions of dollars um, for these universities, and they are not reimbursed educationally, they're not financially compensated fairly, medically, they're not giving, get, given guaranteed uh, benefits for that, for chronic injuries after their eligibility in. So there's so many factors that some of these factors to me speaks to these larger issues that are so aligned around equity and justice. And I really think we need to be thinking about that really concretely, because as much as as we think these performative uh, um, uh, gestures that are made from the NCAA and member institutions, these gestures that are made from prosecutors, they're all aligned. And ultimately, it's the Black folk that are affected first and worse. And how do we really disrupt these structures um, that lead to more equitable pathways, more equitable experiences for Black people? How do we address anti-Blackness, right? These are things that I'm constantly wrestling with in my own work and try to adjust, address in, in, in my writings. Yeah, yeah. And as you bring up, what we're seeing in sports is so similarly aligned and de directly parallels to what we're seeing in society. I mean, the fact that we have a woman who's was in her home resting and is no longer, is, Brianna Taylor is now dead because of what? Because because the cops who were scared and her boyfriend fired at them and they feel like they have to fire back and just haul and shoot anybody in sight. And then to have the verdict be that you're in the one officer that was actually found guilty of something was for endangering the, the neighbors. What about the life that was lost? You know, what value 
is our lives as black Americans. And it's the same thing in sports. What value do our athletes hold as not just athletes, but as people and what's going on around COVID and what's going on around the fight for social justice are directly aligned and parallel to each other because they're, it's one in the same. It's a microcosm of what's a bigger issue in that we don't hold the same value for some people's lives as we do others. It comes down to life or death. And so I think that's a great point you bring up. And even in talking about the work that you're doing in that there are so many layers to this. I even look at, you know, when you're an athlete, especially a division one athlete, you know, I was a division one soccer player. You were a baseball player. We saw, and that's a smaller sport. See just how much you may not even be given the same opportunities or be helped to prepare for what's next. You talk about having the opportunity, you know, to get into edu higher education, having supportive coaches and parents. What about those that don't have supportive parents? You know, I was fortunate to have a supportive family as well that was able to help me navigate through getting my master's and getting into broadcasting. Not everybody has that support from home. Yet you see a lot of times athletes, God forbid they don't make it to the, to the NFL, the NBA or professional level. You know, if an injury happens, if they get sick, if something changes their trajectory of getting into the professional level, then what? What is being done to help prepare them for life after sports? Because at some point, you've got to retire and give it up. Whether it's in college, right after college, or 20 years later, at some point, you will step away. And even that in itself is something that perpetuates a cycle where we're not always seeing athletes finish their degrees, prepare for what's next, doing all the little things. I know there was even... Um, Around the Miami Heat, I saw someone tweet that Duncan Robinson had reached out to him when he was in, at Michigan and finishing up his career at Michigan. It was a writer at The Ringer that was tweeting about the fact Duncan Robinson reached out ye three years ago saying, like, hi, my name's Duncan Robinson. I'm finishing up school. I'm not really sure, you know, if basketball is going to work out. And I was just basically was asking to see if he could get connected to see if there's a potential for him to get into broadcasting. You know, what's really being done to help athletes if it does not work out, you know, and there's so many layers we talk about on the field being forced to play. What about off the field? If you can't play anymore, then what? So there's so many layers to college sports that there, it is such a flawed system for as much as we love it. When you really know all the ins and outs of what's going on behind the scenes, there's a lot of mess there. And your article, you, you talk about your articles that you write, you write on these issues within college sports, race justice, equality, and specifically one of your articles with Forbes, five ways to advance racial justice in college sports. And, you know, I, I know, I thank you for sharing that article with me, but, you know, for those that are listening, break down and summarize what you really wrote there and what it means moving forward that has to change in terms of college athletics, giving more opportunities for athletes on all as in all aspects to help prepare them for whatever may be next. Right, right. So this, this, the Forbes article was really motivated by statements of solidarity, unity from organizations that popped up after uh, the life was squeezed out of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So you had companies like Ben and Jerry's, you had Cole Haan, you had Nike. And of course, um, I was focusing specifically on the NCAA, the governing body of college athletics and member institutions. Right, they came out with a very powerful statement in support of Black Lives, right? Black Lives Matter. That was the mm -hmm. center, uh, central feature of that article. 
But I began to think not only about other organizations, but specifically the NCAA. And while they acknowledge through their public statement that Black Lives Matter after the murder of George Floyd, you know, for me, I'm thinking about like your body of work doesn't suggest that you support Black lives, right? Um, is this in the moment, this sort of performative statement that came out? You know, because I really believe there are clear subsequent steps that must be taken as well. In other words, the NCAA and member institutions must move beyond performative statements and commit to an agenda that understands organizational problems in radically different ways, right? And so that was really the focus of this. And so I'm saying, can we reimagine the athletics enterprise where there is actual fairness, where we're actually centering the conditions and experiences of largely black athletes who are really um, generating a lot of that revenue. And so what I tried to do, uh, Renee, is lay out five uh, areas that we can focus on in terms of reimagining college athletics. And so the first and foremost, and we've talked about this already through this, through this, uh, through this interview, is to really acknowledge that, that all bodies are not equally at risk. Uh, too often black people, black athletes are viewed as subhuman, as inferior, as less than, right? And so for us to acknowledge that there's actually a problem that exists in college athletics, we can't move beyond to the other steps. And it seems to me that if they're putting out a public statement that black lives matter, they're acknowledging that all bodies are not equally at risk, right? But if we can acknowledge that across all organizations, that's, that's the first step. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't get us to the point to where we can relax and feel good about this um, because I really do believe that acknowledgement can lead to other possibilities. Um, and so part of this is really centering vulnerability, centering Black people in any sort of change model. And so from that, I began to think about some problem areas that do exist in college athletics. So once we're able to acknowledge that, that, that all bodies are not equally at risk, we can then begin to think about what those learning sessions might look like in practice that be, begins to really center their experiences. I also talk about, you know, number two, uh, and you speak to this as well, how do we strike that proper balance between academics and athletics? Too much time is consumed, too much time and energy, more than 50 hours per week on sport-related activities. Athletes don't really have the time for internships, for other purposeful engagement activities beyond their sport. So when it comes, right. when their eligibility is up, when the music stops playing, how do these athletes uh, feel like they're, they're positioned for life after sport? Too often, they have to default to coaching. I ain't hate no coaching. Coaching is cool. But have they had those other experiences that could then think about professional or graduate school or thinking about business or thinking about contributing to their community? So that was another piece that how do you strike that balance? How do you get them more engaged in, in meaningful educational opportunities? Uh, the other piece, um, you know, something that's in California, which is SB 206 that was passed. Uh, where athletes can now benefit from their own name, image, and likeness. They can go out and sign autographs uh, in two years when it, when it goes into law um, and, and be compensated for it. They can go sponsor at a car dealership and be sponsored for that. But this is not, this is state to state. Florida and California are the only two states that have passed laws 
for athletes can be, you know, monetize the use of their name, image, and likeness. So right now the NCAA is trying to figure out how do we make this universal? But even that's problematic because they don't see athletes as having rights. And so whatever they try to come up with will be parameters that too often restrict the, the, the freedoms, the economic freedoms that are afforded to their non-athlete peers. And so that's another piece. Um, number four uh, is essentially saying that there's a gross underrepresentation of black people, people of color in high leadership position, whether it's commissioners, coaches, um, um, or even athletic directors. 86% uh, of, of head football coaches were, are white. You know, 80% mm -hmm. of Power Five conference commissioners are white. So what does that do for black athletes disproportionately who enter uh, FBS schools, uh, football subdivision schools? It sends the message that, hey, you know, this is not a welcoming environment. This is not an inclusive environment where most of your coaches don't look like you. Um, and then, of course, lastly, uh, in any sort of policy development or policy discussion or implementation, um, you know, athletes are not at the table. They don't have a voice. It's the, the irony of this is that the rules of engagement are determined by those who benefit the most from it right? The coaches, the administrators, and other executives. And so how do we move to a more equity-minded approach and ensure that all the stakeholders have a voice and can contribute to whatever knowledge pool, whatever uh, board decisions that are being made? Mm -hmm. And what I love about all this is the fact that you touched on back around George Floyd's murder when everybody was posting a black square, Blackout Tuesday, posting their politically correct PR statement, what action was actually being done? You know, all, all that we see throughout the course of the continuous discussions around the need for social justice and change in all levels, in all aspects, it's not just in society and in interactions with police officers, but in sports, as you're talking about, in education and academics, in so many different levels that need to be revised and changed uh, because the very laws that our country and the very concepts our country is founded on have completely changed over the, over the centuries, over the decades, for sure. It's time to reevaluate, you know, just exactly what we stand for, the words that we're saying, and even the Pledge of Allegiance and the, the national anthem and all these aspects of messages that we are constantly inundated with that do not apply to today, do not apply to us as black Americans specifically. And so I agree with the point that you're, you're making around the politically correct PR statements that go out without action, without substance, without any sort of actual steps towards a solution, but just to, to cover and say, look, we did it too. We shared, you know, we stand with black lives too. All black, we think black lives matter too. What are you actually doing? Where's the diversity in your, in your front office, in your management and your positions of power and diversity doesn't always just mean racial diversity can mean age can mean gender can mean background and socioeconomic status there's more than one way to be diverse so i'm hoping that through these continuous conversations to see more athletes um, educators authors and writers media so many politicians so many people that are on the same accord of knowing and working towards finding that solution. So Eddie, where can our listeners follow you as you continue to work so hard around these different aspects of racial equality, justice, and all the work that you're doing in so many different aspects of 
academics and education sports to keep up with what you've got going on? Ah, you can find me, um, you know, actually you can find me on Twitter um, at Eddie Como, E-D-D-I-E-C-O-M-E-A-U-X um, is where you'll likely find me. And I share a lot of my work uh, when possible uh, through that. Of course, you can reach me on, uh, through email. Uh, I'm happy to talk. You can find me in vulnerable communities fighting, um, fighting with them, fighting for change. But uh, absolutely, uh, this work must continue. It's a struggle that must be. And uh, we need to continue to name and challenge it, challenge structural anti-Blackness. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for all that you are continuing to do in your work and for continuing to help be an advocate, be a, be a voice through so many different platforms. You talk about working on book number six, you're working in higher education, you're working in care as an executive director, you're working in so many aspects to help be a part of change because we need as many people, all hands on deck, so to speak, to make this happen. But Eddie, I thank you so much for taking time to join us on Beyond the Headlines. It's been a pleasure having you here. And I know there's nothing but greatness in, in your future as you continue to help break down these barriers that are up in our society in sports and academics. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Renee. What's up, everyone? Renee Washington here, and thank you so much for being tuned in to Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, right here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and be sure to follow the show every Wednesday for a new episode starting at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Back to the show. Hello, sports fans. Welcome to Will's Fantasy Footballers. Now, as always, don't forget to check us out on the Beyond the Headlines podcast with Renee Washington on Fox Sports 96.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now, let's revisit our pick from last week. Big Ben Roethlisberger came back to have a good fantasy day with 306 yards passing and three touchdowns. That was good for around 25 fantasy points in NFL.com leagues. I hope he helped you to a victory this past week. Now. Let's move forward and let's take a look at our player for this week, Terry McLaurin from the Washington football team. Hopefully, they win this game, and if they win, we can get a team name for these guys. But I digress. He played well against the Giants with seven receptions for 115 yards and a touchdown on Sunday. This week, he gets the Lions in their suspect secondary. Oh, my goodness. The Lions are ranked 25th in total defense, and McLaurin should have a productive day against Detroit. That's going to do it for me. I hope you guys enjoy week 10 of the NFL. I am William D. Morgan, and I am out. You are tuned in to Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button to follow the show on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM for a new episode every Wednesday starting at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Back to the show. So thank you guys for tuning in to another edition of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. We had Will Morgan sharing his pick for the week on Will's Fantasy Footballers. We'll see what scary Terry, Terry McLaurin, does this week against the Colts for the Washington football team and if the wide receiver has a day. So we'll see what and how that plays out from Will's pick and Will's fantasy football as well. We also had the chance to talk with Eddie Combe about the work he's doing. I'm definitely interested to know your thoughts, especially as college sports have been really putting players at risk, being that they're not paid, they're not salary, they're not employees like a professional athlete. 
I know the Ivy League just announced that they are going to be shutting down winter sports officially the first and they were the first to also shut down fall football as well. So let's see if this starts a ripple effect across other winter sports as we are looking to see how COVID is unfortunately continuing to affect so many aspects. I know that there's also been states putting in different rules and curfews and protocols around COVID, trying to tighten things up a little as the numbers continue to increase. So I ask you guys to continue to be safe, take care of yourselves. Please make sure that you are doing all that is necessary to protect you and your families. As we are nearing the holidays, we want to enjoy it, yes, but we want to enjoy it safely. Safety first, guys, safety first. So have a great rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have not already, hit that subscribe button to keep up with the show each and every week as we're bringing you new update stories and different topics around sports, music, news, entertainment, and so much more right here on Beyond the Headlines. See you guys next time. Have a good one. Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines. <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines. <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines. We're Renee Washington.